Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My name is Ailis Hart. I'm a senior journalist at Radio 4 and I work at Final 4. Stories start in different places. And for seasoned journalists like Ailis Hart, you learn to keep your ears open at all times. I, I came across this story when I was looking at something completely different. My name is Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. Ailis works for BBC Radio 4's File on 4. She was sat in her office in Salford and was talking to a top human rights lawyer over the phone about another story when the lawyer dropped this tantalising snippet of information. And she said something like, well, if you think that's bad, where do you hear this? And when someone, you know, when a lawyer like that, human rights lawyer, who's seen it all, says something like that, you know, your ears prick up. On the other end of the line, Alice was scrabbling to get all the details down. And I was typing furiously, trying to get all the notes down, and but kept having to stop and think, oh my gosh. She said, um, there's this boy who lives in Yorkshire, and he was abused by, you know, 20, 20, 30, 40 men, and pretty much everyone who was supposed to be looking out for him failed him, and they're still failing him. When she hung up the phone that day, Alice had reams of notes. It wasn't a story she'd started on, but she knew it was something she needed to look into. This lawyer had told Alice about a case she was working on. A teenage boy who seemed to have been seriously failed by the authorities. Now, making contact with people through lawyers can be tricky. Often they're highly protective of their clients, and of course there's client-lawyer confidentiality. But in this case, the lawyer was telling Alice that the family involved were up for talking. The family were at the point where they wanted to be heard and they wanted someone to listen to what they were saying because they had spent so many years fighting and fighting and fighting and looking for justice. And in their view, it just hadn't happened. But the family wanting to talk was just one element. This was a sensitive subject. We'll get onto the details later, but at this point, Alice had to work out if she, as a journalist, could even tell this story. Because in the middle of this story there was a boy a young guy who had just been through hell and back as had his family and the last thing they wanted was for their lives to be made more difficult um, and then also from the legal point of view how we would navigate you know waiving or partially waiving anonymity in a way that the family still felt safe there were some tough decisions to be made Ailis talked it over with File on 4's editor, Gail Champion, and a BBC lawyer, and they decided they could proceed. 
So it was mid-2017, and Ailis found herself picking up the phone to call the father of the family. And it's kind of a strange thing to do, because ordinarily you would, you know, in a circumstance like that, you want to meet them, you want to sit down with them, that, that, that's how you want to do the first meet. But logistically, it wasn't possible for me. I was working on another story. I wasn't able to, to go up and meet them. So I asked if they would settle for a phone call. They did. And, you know, the dad kind of talked me through things as he had seen them. And I listened to it and I just said, right, well, this is what, you know, what we would need from you. What do you think? After various back and twos, the family said yes. They did want to talk to Alice. They wanted to tell them about what happened to their son. A boy the team decided to call Ben. A boy with a story to tell. A few weeks after that first call with Ben's dad, Ailis found herself on a train heading north to Yorkshire. The next train departs from Arriving at the station, she met up with producer Sally Chesworth, and Sally drove them on to the house of Ben and his family. I think it was early June, and it was beautiful, and Yorkshire was sparkling. You know, when we drove up to their house and we drove up the drive and went into the house, I just kept thinking, oh, this could be my mum and dad. The house was nice, the garden was nice. It was just all really idyllic. Like sometimes in stories like this, you end up in pretty dodgy places or, you know, dark alleyways or multi-story car parks or, you know, running after dodgy landlords or, or people in balaclavas. But this was all very pretty and very genteel and it was really sad when you're walking up the driveway and somewhere that's so beautiful and you knew that something so horrific had happened. Pulling into the driveway, Ailis and Sally grabbed their notepads, made their way to the front door and knocked. And you're a bit nervous turning up to somebody's house because, you know, they've been good enough to let you in but, you know, you're asking them for some pretty detailed intimate information about pretty much the worst thing that's ever happened to them. I think at that point we just went up and we wanted them to look at us, you know, see the whites of our eyes, um, see that we weren't, you know, monsters and that get, you know, to suss us out as much as them, uh, us figuring out, you know, the family. We just kind of explained what it is that we do and how, you know, ideas we had about how we might make a program work and and ask, you know, what are they worried about? You know, what are your fears? Like when you... When you think about doing a documentary with the BBC, how does that make you feel? And kind of work backwards from there to try and address any of the concerns. Over the coming weeks and then months, Ailis and Sally would speak to the parents many more times. The family asked the BBC not to name them, to protect their identities. And eventually they met Ben too. We met Ben a week or two after we met the parents. Um, ben isn't his real name. We asked him, what name do you want? But he's this lovely, you know, young, uh, clever, charming, good-looking young fellow. Like, he's really nice and I really liked him straight away and I kind of thought, you could be my buddy, like, you're a nice guy. It was quite hard to put that guy with all the information that I had known beforehand. And even also, it's really strange for me to meet someone um, and, and for me to know as much about him as I knew. Sitting across from the family, Ailis heard little by little what they'd been through. Ben was 13 when it started. A bright, charming boy, he'd begun to feel different from his friends. He knew that he was gay. Now, Ben lived in a small village in Yorkshire. And as a teenager hitting puberty, he wasn't sure what to do as a young gay teenager. 
So he did what so many teenagers might do. He posted online, coming out as gay on Facebook. The following are clips from Phylon 4's programme about a boy. The words are spoken by an actor. At that point, I didn't really know where to go to talk to someone who was gay, because there was no one in school and no one in the family. I started talking to a kid a couple years older than me, but that went a bit sour. Around that time, older guys started making contact. That's when things started to go badly wrong. Grown men started to make contact with the 13-year-old, asking for sex. Ben began to feel out of his depth, and he alerted Childline, who called West Yorkshire Police. The police checked in on Ben, but only about a teenager he'd been speaking to, who'd been threatening to post naked photos of him online, not the older men. Just sort of said, don't do it again, like it's not illegal, but because he was only 15, there wasn't much they could do, and that was it. But they didn't speak to you about the older men contacting you? No, didn't talk to my parents about it or me, didn't address it at all. Later, Ben's parents found out about the grooming. At first they thought it was just one man, but later realised it was more. They fought to make it stop, but Ben had been groomed. He couldn't see just how much danger he was in. The brainwashing had taken a hold, so when people tried to persuade me that these men were trying to harm me, it was too late for me to understand. The men continued to make contact. They'd pick him up, sometimes from outside the school gates, take him to places like a cinema or a public toilet, and abuse him. It happened again and again. In the end, around 40 men got to him. Desperate, the family went to the police and children's services over and over, begging them to help. But they never got the support they wanted. The File on 4 team knew they wanted to tell this story. But then they also wanted to make clear to Ben and his family that even if they changed their names, they were going to have to be very careful about anonymising them. Alice was adamant that she didn't want to cause any additional worry to the family. Because I think especially for young people, they just need to be worried about social media. You know, we can put all these things in place that will um, help mitigate against the risk of someone saying, hey, was that you? And we, you know, we, we put as, you know, as big a lock on that as we could in terms of preventing against jigsaw identification. But we had to sit down and say, listen, there is a possibility. You know, that someone, we, we can do all these things, but there's some things that are outside our control. And, you know, will you think about it? This was a complicated story. Alice had notes and documents from the family full of evidence that she would need to jigsaw together. She'd drawn up a detailed timeline of all the events she knew of, and it stretched out to years worth of information. So where to begin? I think the first thing that we had to do was just do the interviews with the family. And um, our initial... Uh, got was that we should spread them out over a few days because it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, in the end, with uh, Ben's mom and dad, we just sat for hours and hours in their front room and as best we could went through the entire timeline and it is years and, um, and the same with Ben. <clears throat> we sat down with him and another day with just Sally and I and, uh, and talked for hours and hours and hours. So we had hours of tape and we had to kind of stand back and think right you know how do we tell this the team knew the voices of ben and his parents were going to be crucial to the telling of this story but using their real voices could leave them vulnerable to identification so alice was going to have to think creatively to get in actors but the way we do it is that we just think like 
you know, drama producers or and, and we aim high and we record in the field rather than recording in a sound sterile studio and and we really work hard to, to cast the right person. But who is the right person? Alice had her dream actors in mind. I mean it started almost as a joke where Sally and I were throwing names across the office saying, Well, why don't we ask such and such? And then we kinda of looked at each other and thought, Well, why wouldn't we ask them? How about Royal Shakespeare Company and Walking Dead actor David Morrissey for the father? And Downton Abbey and Happy Valley actor Siobhan Finneran for the mum? With both Siobhan and David, we knew that they had like a social justice heart. We just pitched it like you would pitch to an editor. We pitched it to their agent and we said, this is what we have. We probably said we don't have very much money. <laughs> um, but uh, this is what, this is the story. And I, I, I pulled out an excerpt from one of the transcripts and I sent it to them and I said, this is, you know, this is mum, this is dad. And, uh, and they came back and they said they would do it. So it was amazing. But it was hardly going to be a big budget studio production. We recorded with Siobhan in Manchester in my front room. And we went down and borrowed a friend's sitting room in London uh, where we recorded with David. But it was, you know, pretty much as glamorous as current affairs ever gets. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Tip Off listeners. Just a quick side note before we return. I wanted to tell you about a kind of different project I'm working on at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. You may remember Cash Carraway from our episode 9 about cuts to refuge funding. We live in a women's refuge and on early Saturday morning the ceiling collapsed uh, in one of the bedrooms. The 
fire brigade were called um, and there's lots of flooding. Well, Cash is an amazing writer and she's developed her experience into a semi-autobiographical one-woman show called Refuge Woman. Here's Cash to tell you some more about it. So the show is called Refuge Woman. Um, it's a one-woman show. It's about, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. Um, it's about a woman who has been abused for 16 years. She's been to 13 refuges over the course of her life. And she's decided that this is the last one because it's the first time she's brought her daughter to a refuge with her. And she kind of realises that she needs to change her narrative in order to kind of start again. She wants to be free a bit. Um, but it's, you know, it's darkly humorous is um, a way that it's been described. It, um, it's tragic in parts, but it's also very funny and very warming. And um, I hope that it changes the way that women who flee domestic violence are portrayed. The Bureau of Investigative Journalism is helping take Refuge Woman on the road to locations where our local journalist partners dug into cuts in their areas. So the show will be followed by me talking to each of these local journalists about how they got their stories. We start in Norwich at the Puppet Theatre really soon on the 14th of July. Get your tickets now, they're selling fast. And then the show will go to Lancaster, Birmingham, Bristol, Leeds, London and we'll be at Byline Festival. I'll stick a link to where you can get tickets in the show notes and I'd love to see you there. Okay, back to our main feature. Alice was working away putting the pieces of the puzzle together. She'd heard how, to start with, just one police officer had been put on Ben's case. And he was a trainee. Some of the men that Ben had told the police about had been arrested, but others weren't contacted. Ayliss heard how the parents were left to fend off the men trying to make contact with their son all alone. And she had piles of documents from the family, but there was another useful record. Ben's mum had been keeping a diary. Ben's mum had, I think when she realised that things were getting frightening or she was unhappy with the um, police, she started to keep notebooks and um, that helped to um, back up a lot of what she had said. There was one moment after Ben had been taken by a man and driven to London when his mum remembers the aftermath in the police station. While Ben was being interviewed, a senior officer approached Ben's mum. She made a note of the conversation in her diary. He started off by saying, oh, you must have been so worried yesterday, it must have been terrible for you. But then he said, I'm not going to go on about the cost, but do you know how much it cost to ping a phone? Do you know how many police forces were involved? And then he said, and I'd like to have a word with your son as well, and he was just awful to Ben. He said, I know you were being groomed, but you're not being groomed now. You are the facilitator, and if it wasn't for your age, we wouldn't be investigating these crimes. Then he said, the next time I see you in here, I'll put you in a secure unit, and the boy who goes in there will not be the boy who comes out. Now, the police officer involved has broadly denied those comments, but did say he'd mentioned a secure unit. He's since retired. But it wasn't just the parents' word. Ayliss got her hands on a report from the Independent Police Complaint Commissioner's Office. They'd looked into West Yorkshire Police's treatment of Ben's case, and their findings were shocking. The IPCC, as it's known, said that had the officer that talked about the secure unit still been serving, he would have had to face a misconduct hearing. He didn't respond to Ayliss's request for comment. But that wasn't all that was in the report. There was much more. So they had done um, an investigation into the conduct of the police um, with a view to seeing who should be um, 
brought before misconduct proceedings. And in that, you know, it was this this document was never published. The family decided that they were happy for us to have a copy of this report. And that happened actually quite early on. So when they gave me the document, the the document and there's hundreds of pages long. Um, I went home that night and I sat down with a glass of wine or a glass of beer or something and thought, right, I better get through this. And most of these reports are really dry and quite difficult. And it's you. But it was it was almost like a thriller. Like I flew through it. I couldn't believe, you know, event after event that this was continuing to happen. That that what looked from the outside was just indifference from the police or social services. Like I wanted to scream at the report and say, what are you doing? You know, it, it was such, you know, from a journalist's point of view, it's, it's a wealth of information. There were transcriptions from interviews with the police officers. There were emails from one police officer to his barrier, and it just gave the most extraordinary insight. The details of the failings from police and child services were mounting up. Like one time, when Ben said he'd been taken out onto the moors by a 21-year-old and raped. Despite reporting it to the police, the family had no visit from CID that day, and no forensic medical examination happened. Later, the trainee detective who was handling the case alone said he felt overwhelmed with the amount of work, and that he needed the report of the rape like a hole in the head. And Ailis also saw evidence that the police had been discussing making a policy decision around Ben. An email between police officers talks in exasperated tones about the family's concerns around Ben's case. They are of the opinion that the police should investigate every incident that Ben reports, the email read. Ben was around 14 at the time. Now, Ailish knew that from her perspective, what she'd heard from the family was shocking, but she wanted to get an expert's opinion on this too. Maybe there was something she just wasn't seeing. Sally Chesworth, the producer I worked with, had the great idea of going to Adele Gladman, who was one of the whistleblowers in the Rotherham case and has since become one of the, you know, most authoritative voices on child protection. And um, as it happened, Adele knew of the case, you know, through her work. And she was as shocked as we were in terms of the failings and said something that, you know, we walked away from the interview and just kind of flicked our eyes at each other, that she thought that in this case, the failings by the police and social services were just as bad as in um, Rochdale and Rotherham, which were the biggest scandals in the country. But I think this was the first case where I saw statutory duties being completely pushed to one side because of personal values and attitudes about A, young man, and B, a gay young man. Ailis knew this story would challenge people's preconceptions about grooming of teenagers. You know, I think there's a stereotypical view of what kind of child is groomed. And it's often young girls. It's often young girls from disadvantaged backgrounds. And the stereotypical image is, is that they're out all night and no one's looking after them. And that's why they're vulnerable. Um, and that's not the case. Children from every single community can be groomed. And in this case, you know, his mum and dad couldn't have done more. They were all over him like a rash. Like they were, reminded me of my parents. Like they knew where he was all of the time. And they couldn't have done any more to try and keep him safe. But it would just be 10 minutes, you know, it would take. After three years of frustration, the police chief constable in charge ordered a review into how it had been handled. 
The review took nearly two years and identified nearly 20 more men that had been missed by the initial investigation. In the end, 21 men were convicted for crimes against Ben. Fathers, teachers, married men, most were convicted for serious sexual offences. So Alice has been on this story for weeks now. She has hours and hours of interviews with the family which have been revoiced by professional actors. She's trawled through lawyers' notes and official reports into the case and talked to experts for their thoughts on it. When it came to the edit, cutting down all this information into one succinct story proved difficult. Alice found herself holed up in a room with producer Sally and File on 4 editor Gail Champion, thrashing out what they could fit in. But it was hard because... It got to the point where I was trying to make some, it felt like I was making a value judgment on some really serious moments in their lives and some really serious incidents and, you know, which, which should, which makes the cut, you know, what is important enough to make it, the cut was at the time that a man picked him up from school in a school uniform and then abused him in the Yorkshire Dales, was that, is that, you know, does that make the cut? Or is it, you know, when he's meeting people in, you know, football grounds or, you know, it just, I find, I find that just on a very personal level, I find that difficult because I didn't want them to think that I thought one thing was more terrible than the other because they're obviously not. And working out how to tell a story this sensitive was hard. The amount of information that we learned about what had happened to Ben, um, was vast and it was also quite graphic and it was it wasn't an easy information to know you know sometimes I would be reading it in the office and I would have to physically stand up and almost like shake it off my hands and walk away because it's just really really terrible especially when you know the people and you know really you really like them so it wasn't very easy information to know and I think there is a fine line between communicating the horror of what had happened to the audience and just making them switch off because you know if we were struggling with that information then you know people listening at home would be too. There was one element that Alice wasn't sure whether to include. A moment where Ben's mum is driving him home from a police station and she has a moment of panic. On the way home I was driving and I was thinking either these men are going to kill my son or the police are going to take him, or he's going to kill himself. And there was a wall. And I thought, if I drive into this wall now, it'll end because there is no good outcome. And that's how bad it was. And that was the worst time. Should they include something so awful, especially knowing Ben was going to hear it? After talking it over with the family, they decided to put it in. In the end, the decision was made to broadcast it because it was it was exactly how bad things got that she was driven to that point. The team had almost everything they needed. They'd made West Yorkshire Police aware that they were making the programme, but they weren't having any luck with their requests for interviews. Then, a few weeks from publication date, a vital step forward. The Independent Safeguarding Board's serious case review into Ben's case was being published. That's an independent exploration into what had happened with Bradford Children's Services. Ailish knew she had to go. So, you know, the morning that it was due to be published, we travelled up to Bradford and we travelled separately. I was driving and the 
motorway was huge delays so I went the back roads and blindly followed the sat nav and ended up on like you know postman pat style hills that were really 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 crazy steep in this driving rain and I'm sweating buckets thinking you're going to be late for this and eventually got to Bradford and met Sally in a in the car park high-rise car park across from where they were holding the press event. Alice and Sally made their way into the local government building. They soon found out it wasn't going to be as simple as just being handed a report. The morning of that was strange because you're given the serious case review. You know, they say come in at two o'clock and then they say go one, two, three, go and they press a timer and you have to read it. And we had two hours to read this document and it's hundreds of pages long. So Sally started at one end of the book and I started at the other and we're furiously taking notes. And after that, you have 15 or 20 minute slots to hold you know, the police to account or hold the council to account. So it was like setting your A-levels there. Like it was really stressful and, you know, it's not a lot of time to digest. You know, that report took a year to be written. Um, it's a lot of information in there and, you know, the idea that you're going to be able to read it all in time in order to fully understand it and then go in and ask the questions of these people, stretching it. But that's what we had to do. We just went into a room with, you know, five six men in a row and 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 interviewed them and while they were very patient the press officers kept you know giving us uh hand gestures to say like hurry up you need to hurry up and we're like yeah 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 it was a perfect opportunity to get a response to some of these allegations on the record the serious case review found that bradford children's social services was at times negligent towards ben and that they failed in their statutory duty to protect him the new director of children's services at the council told Alice Ben should have been treated as a child that needed protection and that more should have been done to protect him. But he said they have strengthened their safeguarding arrangements since. So, back in the office, with deadline approaching, Alice and the team found themselves working flat out. Yeah, I was pulling crazy hours. I was working, you know, till 12, as was Sally, like 12 in the morning, scripting, going home, having a wee sleep, coming in, back in at 6. This one felt a wee bit personal because I just felt like I need to get this right because and maybe it, because it was just one person's story, you know, maybe because the whole thing was based on their story and and that I had been so taken by them and also just felt, you know, I felt the injustice of what had happened to them. So I just felt a huge amount of responsibility to tell their story and to tell it well. Finally, on the 18th of July 2017, the story was published. My name is Ben. Well, that's not my real name. I'm not going to tell you my real name because I don't want you to know who I am. But I do want you to know what happened to me. So, it's funny when, when your programme TXs or broadcasts, um, by that stage you have heard it or seen it so many times. And sometimes I just don't listen to them. But I think I did this one. Um, it was important for a few reasons. It was... Uh, the first documentary that I had reported for Filing 4, my first Radio 4 reporter job, having come from TV before that. And and I was also just proud of it. You know, Sally and I worked really, really hard. And we had a really, you know, it was a hard job. You know, so I, 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 I went home that night and I stood in the kitchen, just listened to it on my own. There's an emotional toll to doing stories like this, right? I think as journalists, we don't really 
talk about that much of like what how it stays with you or particularly in the moment of going home and feeling quite upset about things did, did you feel that during this I did yeah I did I think I think sometimes because more often than not it's a sad story that we tell or a brutal story we do try to put it on side and just focus on the job in hand but you it, you know it, it, it's impossible not to feel it and I did feel it on this one I know Sally did feel it and I know that Gail our editor did feel it because it was just so I think it just felt very close to home and very relatable you, you know you knew all the people but it is I find it very I find it tough and at the end you know I needed a break just you carry around when you do a job like ours you carry around such a huge amount of responsibility and it's not just a you know don't be sued you know, don't defame someone don't libel someone don't get something wrong they are all massive responsibilities that we take and they're really high risk it's a high risk job but one of the most difficult things that i find is 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 hoping that when at the end of it you finish that the family think that you did a good job and that you haven't left them in a worse state than when you found them and you know you have an hour two hours a day after the program until you've spoken to them where you know you're just sick to the stomach hoping that you have you've done it right you've done a good job and you've been fair and you've been impartial and and you've communicated it as you saw it and that they aren't they don't feel upset because I'd rather never do the job for another day if you know, if that happened, I would just, I would find it, I'd be gutted. Luckily, Ben and his family were happy with the way Ellis told their story. After battling so long for justice and being denied at almost every turn, they said they felt liberated to at least have had the chance to tell what had happened to them. In May last year, a gross misconduct hearing was held for three officers involved in Ben's case. Ben's family weren't happy with the way things went. In the end, only one officer, the trainee detective, was sanctioned with a written warning. It had been seven years since the police first heard about how a young teenager was being picked up for sex by a series of adult men. West Yorkshire police told Alice that they can recognise that their response wasn't at the level it needed to be, but pointed out that 21 men had now been convicted and said that they were now focused on ensuring things like this were prevented in the future. They said the culture in the force was different now. After seven years of fighting for help, for justice, for their voices to be heard, Ben and his family had finally gotten their story out. Thanks to Alice Hart. You can find a link to the File on 4 episode about Ben's story in the show notes. Do check it out. The tip-off is hosted and produced by me, Maeve McClanagan. If you like the show, please do tell your friends. We're on Twitter, at tipoffpodcast, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really does help other people find the show. And stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 